This is part five of Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. And our focus is on the, the fullness be filled with the Holy Spirit. Next time, I'll try to address the issue of, okay, very practically, how do you pursue this to obey this? Because we're just told, be filled with the Spirit. How? So that's not the focus this time, that's next time. This time, we're focusing on how Paul describes that fullness here. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, purchasing the time, every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be unwise. Do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Be wise. These correspond to each other. And do not get drunk with wine. If you get drunk, you're going to be foolish. <laughs> you're not going to be wise. You're going to be unwise. So don't get drunk with wine. It puts you out of touch with reality and, and, and keeps you from looking carefully how you walk. <laughs> drunk people, they don't look carefully how they live. They're set free from all restraints and go into another world of unreality and, and it becomes debauchery. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, and this is our focus now, be filled with the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We'll stop right there. So, Father, few things are more important in the Christian life than our relationship to the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed by the Spirit. Paul said back in chapter 1 and in chapter 4, verse 30, and now we have the Holy Spirit, and by the Spirit we have access to the Father. The Spirit doesn't leave us when we are born again, but within that security, there is a kind of fullness that we have more or less of. And so I pray that you would teach us the beauty and the preciousness of being filled with the Spirit of God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just pause first before we look at the details of verse 19 here and ask what we've seen already that would give us a, a sense of what happens when the Holy Spirit is moving in this kind of fullness in our life. Let's go back to chapter 1, where Paul is praying for us. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit of wisdom. Now, he's praying for believers. He's not praying for people who don't have the Spirit. He's praying for people who've been sealed with the Spirit, 1.13, 4.30. We have the Holy Spirit, and He is our seal for eternity. But there is more or less experience of the Spirit. May He give you the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation 
in the knowledge of him. So when the Spirit is fulfilling this prayer that Paul is praying, we know God better. We know Christ better. We have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. And what, what they're enlightened with is the knowledge of God and of Christ. So Paul, that's, that's the opposite of drunkenness, right? When the eyes of your heart are enlightened and you see with crystal clarity and your knowledge grows of God, it's the opposite of spiritual drunkenness. Here's Jesus' way of talking about that ministry of the Spirit in John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus is going to send the Spirit when he goes back to the Father. He will guide you into all the truth. He will, not, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me. That's Jesus talking. This is one of the most central ministries, probably the central ministry, we could say, of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is given to make Christ appear glorious to the eyes of our heart, to know him and to see him with the eyes of our heart with greater clarity so that he appears to us glorious and becomes our supreme treasure. An example of that from Paul would be 1 Corinthians 12, 3. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to see and to say with authenticity from the heart, He is my Lord. He's the Lord of the universe. I recognize Him as Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Back to Ephesians to see this amazing work of the Spirit illuminating Christ. Paul prays in chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in the heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, and here comes his prayer, grant believers to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. So he's praying that the Holy Spirit would give a kind of strength to believers in our inner being. And here's the effect, the so that of this strength, so that Christ may dwell. Now, Christ is already in us by the Spirit, but there's more or less experience of the precious presence of Christ. That's what he's asking for, I think. In order that Christ may dwell, you might say, manifestly, experientially in your hearts through faith. So the way the, the Holy Spirit does this is by helping us see and trust Christ. And then here's the effect. That you may be rooted and grounded in love and may have strength, same strength here, through his Spirit, you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ. Isn't that amazing? This whole prayer right there is, oh, Holy Spirit, 
strengthen believers so that by that strength they can comprehend the love of Christ by his dwelling in them. Wow. So, when Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, don't lose touch with reality, get in touch with reality, he means get in touch with the reality of Christ, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the more he fills you, the more you see Christ, the more you savor Christ. Now, verse 19, here are the effects. First, addressing one another. When you see Christ with clarity because of this fullness, you love other people. We've already seen it back here in chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And now he says, and sing to one another, that is, address one another in psalms. So the first direction of our singing is to each other because we love each other, because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, and seeing Christ and knowing the love of Christ in fullness is to love each other, and we overflow in song to each other. Second, we do that with three different kinds of songs and two different kinds of singing. Oh, I wish I knew the difference between all of these to help you with, but as I've read and thought, these are probably the biblical psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, hymns probably uh, psalm-like compositions of the early church. And the reason the word spiritual perhaps is put in front of this word is because Maybe this is the broader word for song, and they become spiritual when the Holy Spirit is prompting and guiding their creation and their singing. And then we sing and we make melody, two different words for the activity of doing these three things. So five different ways of describing sing, 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 sing. <laughs> And surely the implication there is joy, right? He's, he's not multiplying words for singing because we're a dull, unhappy, morose people. We are a singing people. And then comes to the Lord. We sing to each other and we sing to the Lord. I just picked a couple of songs to illustrate for you. Here's to each other, right? Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. We're talking to each other. Hey, you folks out there watching, look at the book, sing with me. Oh, come, all ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Oh, come and behold him. Come, let us, let us, let us adore him. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, address one another. And here's the other kind. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. So this is, I'm talking to Jesus, straight to Jesus. 
and it's right to sing both ways. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, as thy beauty fills my soul, for by thy transforming power thou hast made me whole. So we sing to the Lord, and we sing to one another, bi-directional worship. Don't ever think that if you're singing to one another, you're not singing to the Lord. You should. He's listening. He's hearing and loving your expression of his value to one another. And if you're stringing straight to the Lord, it's not wrong to think, I'm standing beside my friend, my wife, my husband, my child, my brother and sister in the Lord. I'm standing beside them, and I love it more because they're with me in this singing. And then finally, with your heart. None of this is superficial. None of this is hypocritical. This is all coming from the heart. Remember back in 118, it's the eyes of the heart that were opened to see Christ. So the upshot is that the opposite of, of drunkenness, don't get drunk. The opposite of drunkenness and all of its stupor and all of its foolishness and all of its lack of wisdom and its, its darkness and its stumbling about in unreality is the intense sight of Christ that comes in the heart, by the eyes of the heart, with the understanding of Jesus, with all that he is and all that God is for us in him, so that from our heart, joy wells up, joy spills over in three different kinds of sing songs and two different kinds of singing. It's all to the Lord, and it's all to one another. So the question now is, how can I pursue that?